We're going to continue to exalt in those kind of truths as we look at God's word. Matthew 8 is our text today, and the passage we'll be on, we'll be studying today, looking at closely, is verses 14 through 17. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn there, and while you're doing that, let me just encourage you on the heels of what Jaden shared, that you be a part next week as we do this Bible conference. It is a Bible conference, meaning that we will open the Bible. We will, sat, the time will be saturated. In fact, there's like three slogans we've been, we've been, we've been thinking about as we've been preparing. This, we want this to be biblically saturated and gospel-centered and practically relevant. And so every bit of it, as we talk about God's judgment in this world and God's mercy, All of that together is going to be those things. We're going to be studying the Bible deeply together next week. We'll be thinking gospelly and how this judgment and mercy is good for us because of Christ. And then we will be thinking about practically. And here's some ideas of how the practical thing is going to go. Like, how do we make right judgments in this world? Like, we live in a world that's incredibly polarized right now. Have you noticed? incredibly polarized. How do we stand there in that place and make right judgments? Um, We're going to go there. We're going to go there the next week. So please be a part of that Saturday uh, from from one on all the way to uh, Sunday. And there's childcare provided. We're going to have two worship sets on Saturday. We're going to have a time of worship on Saturday and a time of worship on Sunday. Uh, the, the, The Ridgeview Praise team is going to lead us again, and it's going to be just really good. So please be a part of that. And then one other thing before I read the text. Um, I, I, I so appreciate your support of my daughter, Hannah, who's on her way to Southeast Asia. Um, and if you, if you wanted to say happy birthday to her, she, her birthday's on Tuesday, but she leaves on Friday. So she turns 18. So um, I will hear about saying that in front of everyone um, later. But love her up. Love her up. All right, so here's the text. Matthew 8, verse 14. The word of God. Don't you love it? The word of God says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve them. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This, is, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Quote, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's pray again. Father, I, I, we pray together for your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to move in this place. Move in our hearts. Move in our minds. Pulling us towards faith in you trust in you and confidence in you. I pray that you would help us, Father, to understand sickness rightly, understand healing rightly, and understand the atonement rightly. I I pray, Lord, that you would move in such a way that we would leave here, Lord, confident in you, confident in your grace, confident in your sovereignty, just absolutely confident in your goodness confident in the cross. And Lord, I I pray, we pray together for 
the Tuberville family. We lift them up in this incredibly hard time. We pray for your comfort and your grace. We pray that we as a church body would reach out to them appropriately and helpfully. And we do rely on your goodness in all of this. Help me now as I preach this, Father, to preach it well, to get out of the way and let your word have its way with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So one of the things I read this week as I was reading the news on a a phone app uh, is an article that keeps coming up or like an issue that keeps coming up in many articles, I guess, and that is uh, having to do with the origin of the COVID-19 virus. You heard that's in the news lately. People are thinking about where this COVID virus came from. Um, The question, as you know, is whether the virus began in a laboratory in China, escaped, and then infected most of the world. And people want to know this because if we can blame someone for COVID, we will. COVID was terrible. The cost in every metric was extremely high. And so naturally, we want to know who done it, right? We want to know who done it, as it were. Of course, there was a time when people thought anyone who talked like that, like that it was possibly from a laboratory or whatever, was a conspiracy theory. Like they were entertaining conspiracy theories. That, that was the word that was used, the pejorative term to label people talking like that. This is something natural, people argued, and we should not imagine something sinister at play when it comes to a disease like COVID-19 when the world suddenly gets sick from a new coronavirus. Well, friends, I have the ultimate conspiracy theory for you this morning. I have come here. It's, it's It's more than a theory. I want you to know that there is something, in fact, sinister behind COVID. In fact, there is something sinister behind all of the illnesses that we face in this life. All of them. There is something sinister behind why we get colds and the flu and COVID and appendicitis and diabetes and cancer and stroke and heart disease. It's not natural and it's not an accident. You should not just believe what the doctors tell you. I'm sorry if you're a doctor here today, but you shouldn't believe just what the doctors tell you when they say that you are sick because of a virus or because you've been exposed to a certain type of bacteria, or because a cell mutated wrongly, or because you have deteriorating nerve membranes, or poor immune response, or those kinds of things. That's just the surface reason for why you get sick. That's just right on the surface for why we get ill. You should know that there is something very sinister at the root of all human sickness. You see, God told Adam... And Eve, that the day that they eat the fruit, they will die. And from that day that they listened to to Satan's dreadful temptation, that, that sinister word, to this day, sickness has reigned. Death has reigned over us. Sin is the ultimate cause of sickness. Sin is the sinister root of all human illness. That's not to say that a specific sin of yours is the root of every specific illness that you face. That's not what I'm saying. As I was typing this very line, somebody texted me to tell me that their child had become ill 
in, 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 in that situation. I don't, it didn't cross my mind that that was because of that child's, Ill, that child's sin. And yet, that illness, just like all illnesses, is a result of sin in the world. Sometimes, of course, sickness can be a direct result of someone's specific sin. We know that, right? Lots of people in this world are suffering from various diseases which are a direct result of sin. Uh, Just as one example, many people who have today HIV and AIDS, just to mention one example, have it because of sin. Of course, a lot of people are suffering from that, not because of their own sin, but many are suffering because of their own particular sin. Lots of people have poor health, to name another example. Poor, lots of health issues because of the sin of gluttony. It's just another example. Sin can be a direct result or consequence of a specific sin, but even when it is not that, and we shouldn't assume that it is that all the time, right? Even when it is not that, the sinister root of all human sin, sickness is sin. If you're feeling sick this morning, you might not want to blame a lab worker in Wuhan, at least not ultimately. If you're ill, it is because of sin. Thank you for that, Adam, and, and thank you for that, us. Thank you for that, me. But I have good news for you, friends. I have good news for you if you're sick. I have good news for you if you're chronically ill. I have good news for you if you feel in your body today the sinister effects of sin. There's really good news for you, and it's right here in this passage. Look at verse 17 with me. The good news is that Jesus took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Now, it would be easy for me to just say, Jesus has borne our spiritual illnesses. That's how I've always heard people, especially conservative Christians, respond to this passage. It's easy to just spiritualize all the sickness that Jesus bore, all the diseases, and say, Jesus healed us spiritually. But as I've looked at this, I don't see that. Our our spiritual diseases are not the only maladies to which this passage refers. Verse 17 says, he bore our diseases, and the passage clearly refers to both spiritual and physical illnesses. And yet we still suffer from those things, right? We still suffer. I still got, I think, influenza this year, last year. So how do we make sense of this? And that's what I I want us to do for the sake of our faith and for the sake of our confidence in Christ to press into this morning. The relationship between sickness and the atonement of Christ. There is, for our mining, precious truth to dig into here. Truths that give us hope in a world that still has hospitals, still has hospice, still has chemotherapy, still has funerals. I found great hope in this passage, and I think it would be good for our souls as we press in together this morning. We'll go two rounds with this text this morning. In the first round, we'll look at the healings that we see in this passage and what they tell us about Jesus and his power and his authority and his grace. And in round two, I want us to focus on verse 17 and the way that Matthew quotes Isaiah 53. This was so good for me, and I I think it will be for you too. There's a connection between these healings and our healings, physical and spiritual, and the cross of Christ. And may the Lord in his kindness use this to encourage us and edify us in Jesus today. So the first healing in this passage is Peter's mother-in-law, right? 
And in the way Matthew describes this, Jesus came in, saw her right away, touched her, and she was instantly healed. So healed, in fact, that she got up and she, she served them. And I think Matthew includes that so that we know, I mean, I've heard a lot of jokes about that, right? Like I, I heard a sermon, you know, Jesus healed her, so she makes some coffee, you know, but really what the point of, of saying this is he healed her. You've never heard that? Did I just introduce that idea? <laughs> I've heard it anyway. Uh, the reason he healed her was because I mean, the reason Matthew includes the, the, the reality that she got up and served him is she was instantly, like, she's dying of a fever, and she got so better, like, it wasn't gradual, she got so better, she got up and she was able to help. She felt instantly healed from her illness. There's something awesome at work here. Jesus touched her. Now, now you have to, you, there's a theme that keeps coming up in Matthew. He touched her, and according to the law, if you touch someone who is sick like she was sick, You'd be unclean. We again see this paradigm of Jesus, the absolutely clean one, touched someone who was unclean, and instead of him becoming unclean, she became clean. That's what happened to the leper too, right? Jesus is so clean that when he touches the unclean, Jesus doesn't become contaminated. The leper becomes clean. And there's a theological basis to that. And we're going to see that when I... Come around again with round two in verse 17. But for now, note how amazing that Jesus isn't afraid of our illness. He's not afraid of our illnesses. He touches a woman and he heals her. She's sick and he heals her. So Peter's mother-in-law, much to the delight of her son-in-law, I'm sure, is healed by the touch of Christ. In the same way that all who are touched by Jesus are healed. Lepers, the dying, sinners, you, me, and then that evening, the whole town, they, they all know what Jesus has been doing, right? They, they get word, the word's spread around. And Luke, it tells us that that, that leper went around and told everyone. Um, but people are finding out Jesus heals people. And so they're bringing their sick to him. They, I think, is towns, they're just bringing their sick to, to Jesus. And there are two types clearly distinguished of maladies that Jesus heals in verse 16. Physical sickness, for sure. It's right in view. And then those who are oppressed by demons. Jesus heals physical illnesses and he heals those who are oppressed by demonic forces, by demons. There were perhaps far, they were perhaps far more spiritually aware of evil forces, spiritual evil than we are today. We, those of us who live in the, our ultra materialistic society, our ultra modern society, tend not to believe or take seriously spiritual evil. Right? I think it does, I don't think it does us any good to do that. I think it makes us more vulnerable. I think that's the, the devil's gambit. You, you know what a gambit is? Some of you play chess. Some, somebody asked me last week if, what my favorite gambit was. I didn't have an answer, but I do play chess. I like chess. Um, but I don't really have a favorite gambit, but I, I do know a few and I try to do them all the time. Here's what a gambit is. A gambit is in the opening phase of chess when you move in such a way that you risk a pawn or you risk, you, you, you risk a piece, you risk a pawn usually in, in, in such a way that your opponent wants to take it and it looks like you're at a disadvantage. It looks like you're weak, but you're doing it for a reason. You're doing it to set up a play. You're doing it, it's not a real weakness. It's a find weakness. It's fake weakness. They think you're weak. They jump on it thinking I got the advantage now, but you're just pretending it's a gambit. Well, the gambit of the devil is to make us feel in our material world like he doesn't exist. 
Like, like he's just nothing more than a ghost story that people tell in October or myths and dark tales of a medieval age. Not a modern reality and certainly not a clear and present danger to you today. Yet, as 1 Peter 5, 8 says really clearly, Christians must be watchful because our adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's, that's a real danger, right? How vulnerable we are then when we decide that the demonic is simply a spooky tale. I think it's the devil's gambit to take our guard down. The reality that most of the world has known throughout history. I mean, you know, animistic cultures far removed from the gospel know without a doubt the evil influences of the devil. I mean, they don't know, they don't know it rightly, right? They try to appease him. They try to do things like that, but they know there are spiritual forces that are evil in this world. It's not helpful for Christians to deny that. It's helpful for Christians to be aware of that danger so that we, we turn to the one who has the authority to protect us from him. That's why in 1 Peter 5, 9, one verse after, after the one I just read, just after reminding us that there's a spiritual adversary, Peter says, resist him firm in your faith, right? Firm in your faith, your, your belief in Jesus. All right, note with me two little details of verse 16 that I found to be big encouragers. First, they brought many to Jesus and he healed all of them. I love that. I, I, I love the purposeful use of Matthew saying many and all. They bring Jesus many who were sick, oppressed by demons, and Jesus healed all of them. It tells us things about Jesus. For one, it, it speaks to his grace. He did not turn one away. Not one came to Jesus that night and was, Jesus never said, I'm, I'm tired, I'm done tonight. He didn't turn one away. Imagine that and take confidence. Not one. I mean, friend, if you feel that you are too sick for Jesus because of your sin, note that many came to him and, and he healed them all. Many people come to Jesus from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all, all levels of past and depravity and all of that. And Jesus heals all of them. Many come and Jesus heals all of them. And my, my point in highlighting that is that you are not too far away from Jesus for his saving grace to touch you and heal you. I'm going to define that healing in a moment, but for now, let me just say, he will heal you of your greatest and ultimately all of your maladies if you will come to him. They brought many to Jesus and he healed them all. The second thing I want you to note in verse 16 is that he does it with his word. And that tells us something about the authority of Jesus, returning again to a, a theme that Matthew, a drum that Matthew has been beating, which should not be lost on us. Matthew repeatedly helps us see the absolute authority of Jesus in the universe. Remember that that's a theme that began back in chapter seven when he concluded the Sermon on the Mount. The crowds were astonished because he taught with authority. And we get into chapter eight and it comes up over and over again. And the leper comes to Jesus. And what does he say? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He knew, he knew the outcasts could see the authority of Jesus. And he believed that it all depended on Jesus's will. If you will, you can make me clean. 
And then another outsider, a Roman centurion, demonstrated his faith by comparing his own relatively small earthly authority to the authority of Christ. Believing that if Jesus, Jesus had such authority that he could merely say the word and his servant would be healed. And here in this one verse with only three words, we are again reminded of this amazing reality of Jesus's authority. He heals and he casts out demons with a word. That's authority. That's our savior. And that tells us, right? That there were no demons that were free from the absolute sovereignty of Jesus. They were not free from his authority. They could not do as they willed when Jesus willed differently. And no illness was too strong for him. Not a one. I love this. So hopeful, so helpful. So gives us so much hope in a world where we feel hopeless. You are not outside of the reach of God's grace this morning. You might feel that way, your past, your sin, the deep hole that you feel like you have dug for yourself, all of that, you might feel like God cannot help you, but note that there is no demon too strong for Jesus. There is no illness that does not respond in obedience to him. All who came to him were healed with a word. And that was just, that's round one, just, I want to be brief with that one. I want us to focus now on round two. Let me again read verse 17 and consider the theological grounds for all these healings and for our healings and for ultimate healing. Matthew 8, 17 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. So Matthew inspired by the Holy Spirit, saw the events that happened on that evening as the intentional fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 4. That's where that comes from. You probably have a footnote there, a reference. That's a very literal rendering of Isaiah 53. The Isaiah has it a little bit different, but it's a very literal rendering of the Hebrew of Isaiah 53. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Now, the reason I found that so amazing is because of what Isaiah 53 is what's meant for, what the chapter is all about. It's one of my favorite Old Testament chapters because it describes so well this, the suffering servant whom we know to be Jesus Christ, whom Matthew confirms is Jesus Christ. It was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, but God revealed to us in Isaiah 53 what his purposes are in sending Christ and Christ's work on the cross. He would be the suffering servant who would bear our sins and our griefs and our maladies and our sicknesses. The, the servant would bear our iniquities. The servant would be crushed by the father and by his wounds we are healed. It's all in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is right at the heart of the gospel. Jesus bore our sins and that he stood as an innocent substitute for us to pay our sin with his own life. He would stand for us guilty sinners and bear the wrath of God that you and I have earned. All we like sheep have gone astray. Also in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 is a great passage. I'm preaching on this passage next week uh, for the Judgment and Mercy Conference. And 
I'm, I'm, here's another plug. Isaiah 53 shows us both of those realities. God's holy judgment against sin and God's incredible mercy towards sinners. All in Isaiah 53, you see the judgment and the mercy of God in the work and the person of Christ. So come next Saturday and Sunday, let's think deeply and biblically as a church, as two churches, about the judgment and mercy of God. Now, that evening, way back in the day in Capernaum, Peter's house in Matthew 8, 17, when Jesus healed all those people of spiritual and physical illness, the full work of Isaiah 53 had not yet been realized, right? It had not yet been accomplished. Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. He was on his way there, but he had not gone to the cross yet. He had not yet suffered. And that's the whole grounds of his work in Isaiah 53. He is the suffering servant. And yet those events happened. Jesus had not yet laid down his life for us and had not yet been crushed by the Father for our sin. That was all still to come. So the only way to make sense of this, of what Matthew's doing here with the use of Isaiah 53, is to see that those healings, all of those healings that night, and I believe all of the healings in the gospel, were in anticipation of the cross. The healings look... They, they take their grounds in the atonement. They, they look forward to Calvary, just as our spiritual healing looks back to Calvary. So this morning I got in my truck and I started it and I, I drove to church, right? Like many of you did today. You, you got in your vehicles and you came here to church. And in a couple of hours or sometime from now, I'm, I, I plan on getting back in that truck and driving back to my house. Now, I was driving in two different directions, right? One was coming here and one was going, but both my coming here and my going here had as their grounds one reality, this church gathering. I was coming to this church gathering and I'll leave here today because of this church gathering. In a similar way, all the spiritual and physical healing that Jesus did that night looked to the work of the cross, And all the healings that God does now in the life of a person look back to the cross. Both have their grounds or their basis, the atonement of Jesus Christ. The cross is the grounds of all true healing. I know this is the way to see this because Matthew appeals to a prophecy in Isaiah and Isaiah makes it clear how the suffering servant takes our illnesses, how he bears our iniquities, how he takes our grief, how he takes our sorrows, how he bears our diseases. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he, this is a verse right after the one that, that, um, that Matthew quotes, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The healing came by the cross of Christ. The healing that night, healing of the many who were brought to him, healing of Peter's mother-in-law, our healing, he has accomplished both by laying down his life to make atonement for us. He bore our diseases. I love that he says that. He didn't just heal them, he bore them. He bore them, he took them on himself and he went to the cross Now, I want to press into what this healing entails so that we are equipped better with a a, a robust theology of human sickness and sin and the saving and the healing work of Jesus. 
to do that, I'm, I'm just going to put a friend of mine into focus. I have a friend who is chronically ill. This illness was introduced for him, it has introduced for him, real and prolonged suffering. The doctors have told him that he will continue to suffer with this illness the rest of his life. They said he will not likely die of this illness, but he will die with this illness. He is sick, and it is hard for him. It is a real physical sickness. So how should he read Isaiah 53, 4? How should he read Matthew 8, 14 through 17? I think there are a few different ways that people try to do this. Some in Christian circles would read Isaiah 53, 4 and Matthew 8, 14 through 17 and a few other passages and say that this absolutely assures the physical healing of my friend's chronic illness and my friend, if my friend will only believe. Thus, the encouragement to that sufferer would be, you need only to have faith that you will be healed and claim the truth that's here. Jesus bore your illness. Jesus took your disease and then you will experience healing. And those same people, those same people, now hear me on this, okay? Because I'm not just criticizing them. Those same people would warn against reading Matthew 8, 14 through 17 in a small way. They would chide those who read this and say things like, we should believe from this that Jesus heals us spiritually. We should not take this to mean that Jesus heals us physically. They would say that's a small reading of this passage because it's, and it's fundamentally flawed. They would point out that physical healing is right here in this passage, right here. And I, I think they're, they're pointing it out rightly. That, that Matthew ties not only spiritual healing, but also physically, physical healing to Isaiah 53, 4. So I think we should see physical healing here too. I'm sympathetic to these sentiments in part. Not, not, I don't go all the way. I think those kinds of teachers, and we call them a couple of names you might remember, not, not people's names, but the movement's names, prosperity teachers. Pejoratively, people call them the health and wealth preachers or the word of faith teachers, as many would call them, as many they, they would call themselves. My point is I think they have a valid point, one valid point. I agree with them that we should not read this in a small way. And I agree with them that we should not dismiss the physical aspect of healing that's in view in Matthew 8 and in Isaiah 53. Both spiritual healing and physical healing are in view. I can't deny that. I think it's right there. On that, I agree with the prosperity preachers who make that case. I think they're right on that point. Here is where I strongly disagree. I do not think that one is reading this in a small way who says that Jesus, by the work on the cross, heals all who trust in him, both spiritually and physically, all rooted in the atonement, in a way that is not limited to this life only, but a healing that is to be enjoyed for decades and for centuries and for millennium and forever. For eternity. On the contrary, if you, if you want to read this passage in Isaiah and in Matthew in an infinitesimally small way, then see the healing here as only limited to this life only, 70 to 100 years 
I think that's the small way to read this passage. To my friend who is suffering with a chronic illness, I would say this, yes, yes, God is able to heal you in this life. He is God. There is no sickness beyond his authority outside of his rule. He can do it. He is God. He has gone to the cross to take that illness, bear that disease. Jesus came to defeat that sickness and that defeat has its ultimate roots in the cross and that sickness has its ultimate roots in sin. Yet, even if this healing in your life is not fully realized for another, I don't know, 40, 30 years from now, 50, you should know this and you should have hope in your suffering you will experience the full healing power of Jesus through his cross. If you're in Christ, you will experience the full power of Jesus's word by the grace that he has shown you on the cross. You will be physically healed forever. You will one day, I had another friend who had, uh, he, he just, he died actually just recently of COVID or it's been a year now, I guess, year and a half. Uh, he could not, for the last 10 years of his life, lift his elbow beyond his shoulder, right? And it was painful for him. And he, he asked me, will I ever be healed from this? <laughs> he can do this now. That is not a small way to see this. That is massive. That's the right way to see this. The reality is for his good reasons, God might allow that suffering to continue for now. Whatever God ordains is right. He might take it away if he wills, but he might allow that condition, that condition to persist, but only for a season. One day, if you are in Christ, your momentary affliction will be over and all his glory in you will be realized. And in that day, on that day, friend, you will not regret the suffering that you endure on this day. Jesus took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Sin is the sinister root of every sickness that we face in this world. Every time you get a cold, you are experiencing the effects of sin. The ultimate reason why the world shut down for over a year in 2020 Whatever the surface reasons are, whatever the other reasons are, whether laboratory, whatever, the ultimate reason was sin. That's not a conspiracy. That's theology. Every cancer, every stroke, every respiratory illness, every HIV infection, every influenza infection, every case of multiple sclerosis, every epilepsy, Crohn's disease, glaucoma, heart disease, back pain, depression. And I know there's more. I probably haven't mentioned yours. All of these are a direct result of sin in the world. Sin is the sinister result, is the sinister root of sickness. And sin is the leading cause. In fact, it is the only cause of death in this world. And yet we have hope. Like, amazing hope. Massive, glorious hope in the midst of all this sickness and death. You, if you are sick today, you have hope. If you're facing the hard reality of chemotherapy or dealing lifelong with a chronic illness, you have hope if you are in Christ. 
Our hope is the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Christ took our illnesses. He bore our diseases. And by his wounds, we are healed. Not merely or even necessarily in this brief time we have here, but forever and ever in glory with Christ. Oh friend, let that hope sustain you through your suffering. Turn to Jesus with your suffering. I think that's one of the things that we should take home from this. Turn to Jesus in your suffering. Don't just turn to doctors. Turn to doctors, sure. We have, we're so blessed with medicine. Turn to Jesus. Even in your physical suffering, turn to Christ. Turn to him, come to him, trust him. Many will come to him. And he will heal them all. Every one. All of them. He will heal you if you come to him with his word, by his cross, because of his grace. So have hope today. Let's pray. I don't think, Father, that we fully grasp or will fully grasp the enormity of this reality that you have taken our illnesses and bore our diseases. We thank you together for the cross of Calvary. We thank you that there you died because we are to save us from our sin. There you died and paid our penalty. Jesus, you went to the cross and you paid for our penalty on the cross and you did so so that we might be healed, so that we might live. Oh Lord, I, I pray for anyone who is here today confused about that reality or with questions or with doubts. Father, I pray today you give them the courage to come see me or one of the elders or somebody here and tell them those doubts. I pray that you would give them, I pray that you will lead them to come because I know, Lord, many will come and you will heal them all. And Lord, I pray for strength for all of us, Lord, this week as we face all the difficulties we face. You are so good and so kind and so gracious, so trustworthy, so healing. And it all points to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.